Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. His life, he is recognised as a prophet in our nation, and and we got to have lunch with him, and, and he was saying, you know what, as a as a person with a prophetic edge, it's not just about speaking to individuals, but it's about seeing the DNA of uh, the local church and to be able to speak into it. And uh, one of the things that he talked about is the season that we are in, and he said we're in a season of preparation. And now, if you haven't listened to the message yet, it's available on podcast. I highly recommend you do so, especially if you feel like lift is. Um, going to be your family. Uh, just to know where we are going as a family, that's a brilliant message uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about being in a preparation season, that God's adding things in us, getting us ready for what is coming next. And I know that personally, having chatted with people, uh, a lot of people have said as well, hey, you know what, I, I recognize now that I am in a preparation season as well. And, uh, and, and, and so people are, are, are saying, how can I get prepared? What is it that God wants me to be doing? Well, how, can I, how can I get myself ready for what God has got for me? And then last week we went to camp and, and it was amazing, phenomenal. You know, God was doing so much stuff. And, and I think it really confirmed um, that God is bringing us through a preparation season. Yeah. God is getting us ready for what is next. Uh, he is stretching, is growing us. He is making sure our roots go down deep so that we can grow strong. We can reach out to more people. Pop-up carnivals is one of those such opportunities. Uh, uh, but I think there's something about uh, this whole idea of getting ready and growth that we need to camp on over this next few weeks. And um, uh, a, a few Weeks ago, I, I read this passage and it stirred something up for me. It's from Exodus 23, 29 to 30. Let me just read it out to you pre- uh, quickly. It says, I, uh, this is God, by the way. Sorry, let me set it up. I'm excited as well, Sandy. I'm like <laughs> jumping all over the place. And uh, God was speaking to Moses. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt and they were now on their journey. And this was probably the first time God began to really tell them what was coming up next. He had really saved them and he had dealt with those past stuff. And they were now in the desert. They were on their way towards Canaan, the promised land. And this is what God says to Moses. I will not drive them out before you in one year. Great encouragement, isn't it? I promise this to you, but you know what? It's going to take a while. And it goes on to say, Lest the land becomes desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you, little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I really love that God has this ability to see beyond our now. And he sees into the future and he knows what's best for us and he takes us on this journey. And as I was reading this passage, suddenly something stirred in my heart and I felt the Holy Spirit just say to me, your growth triggers off more of the promise. Your growth becomes the point, that tipping point, that triggering off of what God has got for you. You see, when we talk about change and we talk about growth, the thing that we need to understand is this. We change so that we can grow. If you grow and you don't change, there's something that is not happening. There's no growth without change. 
But here, here this, is, this is why growth is so important. Because without growth, there is no possession of the promise. You are still too little. You're still too weak. You're still too incapable of, of, of possessing the fullness of God's promise. And I bet that some of you who can look back, maybe in certain seasons of your life, or maybe even currently in your life, you're thinking about why is the promises of God still being withheld from me? I've done this and I've done that. I've tried this. I've gone for that conference. I've gone for camp. I paid $120 to camp and my promise hasn't arrived yet. And you're getting a little bit upset and God's saying, little by little, without your growth, without your change, the possession of the promise is being capped. And God, when God put this in my heart, I was like, man, I want to change. I want to get ready because I know that what I have right now is not the fullness. I, I enjoy what I have. I love the life that I live, but I also live with this. And Pastor Ken spoke about this at camp. It's like this uh, uh, holy dissatisfaction. There's something more that God has got for me. If you are satisfied with your life right now, let me just say you are satisfied with second best. Right now, God has brought you to this place, and it is blessed. But if you stay in that place, you're missing out on the promised land. You're missing out on the fullness of the promise. And I, I find it really sad. I, I love the, the Israelite story. I read it many times because I think there's so much to gain from it. But when I read the story about what happens when they went to possess the land, they were expecting the full possession overnight. They forgot that God said little by little, as you grow, you begin to possess more. And, and, and they forgot about that. And so they gave up their possession in order just to settle down. There were pockets of the land that were never possessed, that was always promised to them, that they never took a hold of. And those pockets of land that they did not possess became the weaknesses in their life. The, the very places where they did not overthrow and possess became the very places where their deadly enemies that to this day still are attacking them, still are trying to take their possession, to this day, I'm talking about modern day Israel. Do you know uh, the, the area that they, uh, they call Gaza? That is one of those areas that the Israelites never fully took control of. And because of that, it's a disputed land to this day. Do you know that if you do not grow and you do not possess, those areas in your life will become weaknesses. And that is where the enemy will continue to steal, kill and destroy. We grow because there is so much more ahead of us. We grow because it's necessary for us to grow in order to receive all that God has got for us. And that's what this series is about. It's about growing. It's about changing. It's about, you know, the fact that I am not satisfied with where I'm at right now and that there's something more that needs to happen. And let me tell you, growth is uncomfortable. When you see a teenager going through a growth spurt, oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. Suddenly, the pants that were too long for them reach up to their knees and it's like, what the heck just happened to you? You buy shoes one day, the next day they're too small. It's probably more uncomfortable for the parents than for the kid, I reckon. Yeah, but anyway, different story. It's always more painful for me watching you guys change. Put it this way, it's true, it's a true thing. But you know, we have this, but when you look at kids, they are a great analogy of change. Did you know that when a baby is first born, their head is 25% of their body length? 
Did you know that? Can you imagine if that did not change? Yeah, like a quarter of my body is my head. Can you imagine how weird? You know, when I read that, it confirmed my suspicion that babies are way out of proportion. They are just weird things. Do you know that before they were born, their head was actually 50% of their body length? Can you imagine if half of me was a head? All you visual people are going like, oh my gosh, weird. And it's a proven scientific thing that we grow head first. How interesting is that? We grow head first. And, and it's a deliberate thing. God is a, an amazing designer, and I think he helps us grow head first because then we have this mind, this brain, that helps us to coordinate the growth efforts of every other part of our body. And so it's really our limbs that grow last. We grow head first into the trunk and then to the rest of us. You will see some teenagers, they have arms and they don't know what to do with them. It's like, it's like Bambi. It's like, what is this thing? It's like, how did I reach that? And it's like, I think I'm Mr. Incredible. And, and no, it's actually Mrs. Incredible. My bad. And because they're growing into their new bodies as they continue to stretch. That's what happens. And do you know that that is a similar way that we grow spiritually? We don't knock. When you see a teenager that's kind of growing to their limbs, you're not like, what is wrong with you? You're like, no, that's normal. That's, that's okay. You will fill out. You will grow into this body that God's given to you. It just takes time. And in the same way with us spiritually, there's this sense that we grow out of proportion sometimes, but we finally get to a place where we fill out. But did you know that really the growth that we need spiritually starts in our head? I know that Pastor Ken spoke about the heart, uh, the change starting from our heart, we wanting to change, and I believe that the desire to change starts in our heart, but the ability to change often starts in our head. And let me just unpack this for you today. This is going to be really key for the rest of the series. And let's look in Philippians 2 verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Of course, at Lift Church, we love talking about working out, don't we? Working out. I know when I read this passage, quite often my eyes go towards the fear and trembling part, and I'm going like, why fear and trembling? And we'll talk about that in a moment, but right now I want to talk about working out. Hoorah! We need to work out our salvation. And, and um, I used to think nothing much about these words working out until I started to look into what Paul was intending and what he was trying to, to bring about to us. And, and I'll look into the, the Greek word because sometimes the Greek language uh, has a lot more richness to it that we lose when we translate it to English. And the word that Paul used that we translate as work out is uh, this word katagazo. Katagazomai. I think I've got it. There, there we go. Katagazomai. Uh, if you are Greek, I'm so sorry. I'm butchering your language. I'm probably saying it wrong. But katagazomai. Now, if you read the word katagazomai, see, I said so many times, I've got it now. You try saying it. It's not easy. Uh, if, you, if you look at the word katagazomai, can you think of an English word that it sounds like? <laughs> really? I thought of the word category, categorize category. 
And uh, so I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I dived a little bit deeper, and I found out that in the Greek language, they had this prefix. A prefix is basically a little part of a word that you put onto uh, another word to, to, to add to its meaning. So if you take the letters R-E, re, and you put it as a prefix in front of another word like re-read, it means that you read it again. You know, uh, sorry? Renew is like to make new again. Basically, re means again, and you make it into a word. The word catagasmai uh, is actually made up of two parts. There is the kata, and then there's gasmai. Uh, and what I found really interesting was what the prefix kata means. And uh, I searched up the, uh, the dictionary, and it says this, that kata means down, against completely, intensive and according to, or according to. There has this connotation of down against completely intensive and according to. And, and, and so when you put kata in front of other uh, things, it, it brings these connotations that, that, that we've just spoken about. So for example, with the word category, it means that there is this downward classification that is very exclusive. It's either you are in this classification or you are not in this classification. So it is uh, against completely or is intensely within category and that's what category means and, and to bring about the intensity of meaning another word that that has kata in front of it is catastrophe or, or cataclysm uh, cataclysm uh, you know there's these natural disasters that are so powerful that you are completely affected by it and that's why they put kata in front of it and so when Paul was talking about catagasmai, your salvation, he wasn't just saying, oh, read your Bible. He wasn't just saying, go to church every Sunday. He wasn't just saying, do a few religious things and you've done your duty. He was talking about an intensive, complete work that God was wanting to do in us and through us. That we need to catechismize our salvation in a way that it completely affects the way that we see our lives. It completely affects the way that we live out our Christian lives. It is not just about a Sunday. It is not just when you are doing your quiet time. It is about your whole life. It completely reorientates your life. We, when, uh, salvation is an amazing thing because when we receive it, God has actually received, uh, given it to us as a free gift. We don't need to change in order to receive Jesus. We, we, we were still sinners. The Bible teaches this again and again. In order to receive salvation, we did not need to do anything except to say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, come live in me. The moment we say that salvation is given to us, but if we do not work out this gift into our lives, we will never experience experience the fullness of this gift we need to as christians change grow in our salvation it fundamentally shifts everything within us and i love that it's a downward process Remember, kata means down as well which is really interesting the working out of our salvation is a downward process it is not something that I've just made up on the inside of me. It's a God-given insight that touches my mind, changes my mind, which then influences my actions. 
See, the Bible also talks about this in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we get transformed? How do we change? By the renewing of our mind. It is this downward process uh, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to change and by change, we first change our minds. That's a really interesting concept if you continue to think about it, continue to allow that to, to, to make sense to you. And, and today, I just want to talk about two key things about change that I hope will be helpful for you for the rest of, um, for the rest of this series. But the first thing I want to unpack is this thought. Most of us are fine maybe even good with the idea of change, but most do not implement change. You know, I think we live in a world where change is now completely embraced and acceptable. For example, you change your phone every two years. I read somewhere recently that um, some companies actually slow down your old models um, so when you update your phone, when the newer ones come out, it actually slows down your phone so you feel like you need to have the new phone. I don't know how true it is, but it's like you need to change. You need to move along with the times. If you don't move along with the times, you're going to find yourself slowing down to a full stop. Um, and and we, we are now told that we need to change our fashion every season. If not, you are out of space and out of time and you are not attractive and you're a terrible human being. That's, that's I think, the messages that we are told all the time. Apparently, you can get face creams that will now change your whole life. We, we, we need to change ourselves by slapping some cow product on our faces. Um, <laughs> Apparently, I've been using it because I look so young, don't I? <laughs> Not at all. Soap and water. That's the man's product. Um, and, you know, we, we are okay with this with, with change in our society. We change our politicians every three to four years. We, we, we change so many things. But one thing that I realize, though, is that quite often the things that we do as change tend to be the superficial things. Like, my phone is not me. A lot of people think that their phone is them. When they don't have their phone, it's like they've lost their mind completely. You know what I mean? Like, <gasps> you know, it's like, everyone stop! Where's my phone? It's like in your pocket, mate. <laughs> it's like, you know, we go crazy with it. Anyway, it's all superficial. It's not me. I changed my clothes. I changed my hairstyle. I changed the way that I look. They're all superficial. But one thing I realized is that the deeper inner change is something that we all struggle with massively. We like the idea of changing, but we hate the, we hate the implementation of that change. Um, a while ago, I was reading this uh, business book, uh, which was about startups and entrepreneurs. And, and this person who had worked with many entrepreneurs came, with, came, came up with this observation. I thought it was a fantastic observation. He observed that many entrepreneurs have ideas that they believe truly will disrupt the market, change the world. They, they, they love, they're so in love with their idea. But one thing that he realized as well is that as much as they were in love with their idea, they were also really scared to find out if their idea truly worked in the world. So they had this idea that stayed in their heads but never worked its way through them. And, and, and he was talking about how 
when there is no measurement of how things are going, we get to play fantasies in our mind. For example, if you are an author and you believe that you have a book that you're about to write that can completely change the world, is going to become a bestseller, you can actually formulate a fantasy. You can tell the whole story in your mind. Have you ever done anything like that? It's like, man, if I write that book, then tomorrow I'll be on the New York Times bestsellers list. I will never have to work again. Uh, because I'll get enough royalties for the rest of my life. And everywhere I go, people will be screaming my name because they love my book so much. In fact, they will want to have a movie deal by next Tuesday. Yeah, next Tuesday. That's fine. i got time for the movie people to call me. And then we will work out this trilogy because every good book needs to become a trilogy. And uh, after we do the trilogy, I'll become even more famous. I will never work again. I just need to write this book. And they never do. And I, I read this thing uh, the other day that said that he, I believe most of the world-changing, the best world-changing ideas are stuck in the grave. People die with their ideas. People die with these fantasies because they've never implemented it. See, change is sexy. We all know that we need to change. But the working out of change is uncomfortable. And most of us don't like it. Let's talk about relationships for a moment. Because I think relationships really hit home. They have this way of really reaching into our emotional part of ourselves. And, uh, you know, a, a long time ago, people um, were betrothed. They were arranged to be married. Um, and I believe quite often it was for economic reasons. And quite often the, the, the two people might not even have met before they got married. And so some, somehow, somewhere along the line, people went, I don't like that. And I thank those people for being revolutionaries. And we created this thing called the dating period, where we uh, date, we try to see if we're compatible, and then we get married, which I think is a great way to ensure that marriages actually last. Uh, and, and it's fantastic. But what I've observed in today's world is that there's a whole new season before the dating period. It's not been named yet, so I'm going to name it. It's my idea, okay, guys? You need to reference me when you mention this. It's called the special friends period. Special friends. Sorry? No, no, that's my name. It's not my name. It's the name I created. <laughs> but there's this special friends period. And these two people, practically, they, they, go, they go out, have a meal together. They have coffee together. They text each other 24-7. And they have their phone next to their bed because it's that, the, that the person texts them at, at 1 a.m. They need to reply. If not, maybe they'll get angry at them or something like that. I don't know how it works. I never had a special friend. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, they, they, they do things together. They go for movies. They go on all sorts of stuff. But when you ask them, you guys do all that stuff already. Are you dating? Like, no. We're just friends. And it's like, if I had a girl that I did all those things with, Beck would be calling an assassin. <laughs> it's not going to work. I'm not allowed to have a friend like that. Why? Because you're practically dating. But no, 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 because it's not Facebook official, so we're not really dating yet. We're just, we're special friends. If you are special friends in this room, I am sorry. I did not mean to make you feel uncomfortable and reveal all your dark secrets. But one thing I realize when I talk to people like that, the real reason why they are special friends and not actually dating is because of fantasies. 
is because they either think that what they've got going right now is so beautiful <laughs> that if they pop the question, the beauty of this moment will just disappear. Or maybe they don't know whether the other person likes them enough. So just being special friends makes me feel good enough. But the moment I ask and if the person rejects me, my whole life is going to fall apart. I am going to be depressed for the rest of my life and I'll never find the one. We have these weird little fantasies in our mind and, and we try to control our lives using fantasies. But how many people know that fantasies are only controllable in our mind but doesn't really touch our reality? And so these people uh, go through this whole period of backing and forthing and trying to work out whether they should date or not. And it was like, just date already and work it out. And it, it, there's, there's this sense that making things official is too scary for people nowadays. And then when we look into actual dating relationships, um, and, and I've, I've been a youth pastor, and so I know so many young people that have been with absolute drop kicks of human beings. They, they are useless <laughs> punching bags, I reckon. And, and I've seen it happen so many times. And, and I want to use something stronger, but I'm in church. <laughs> but, you know, we have these people that are, are, you're beautiful and you're not. And you're, why are you together? You could do so much better. And it's like, but, but. Pastor, maybe, maybe if I stayed long enough with this person, I could change them. Fantasy. If you need to change the person you're dating with, there's a problem there. There's a real problem there. But they will stay on because maybe I could change them. But I reckon for many others, it's because once I let go of this one, I don't know if I'll find someone else who is willing to be with me. So this little fantasy patch is better than the reality, is better than the uncertainty that change often brings with us. And so in that way, the idea of change is something that we don't struggle with because fantasies are built on the idea of change, that my tomorrow could be different from today, that my tomorrow could be more beautiful than today. My, uh, uh, it, the idea of change is not a problem, is the implementation of change. Is, is, is when we actually go, you know what, I, I need to change. I, I need to do something about this change. And that's where I want to bring the second point, and I've already kind of mentioned it, but change only happens when there is discomfort. Change only happens when there is discomfort. This is a psychological fact, by the way. Um, the psychologists have come up with this idea of dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, you can search it out for yourself. Uh, but what cognitive dissonance basically is, is just that there is disharmony amongst our attitudes, our mindsets, and our thoughts. We have these competing um, thoughts that bring about a discomfort, a dissonance. They, they are at odds with one another. Have you ever sat down and two people are singing and, and one of them is completely off-key? And does it hurt your ears? It hurt you? That's what dissonance basically is. It's two tunes going on at the same time that don't fit. And it's like you need to shut one of them up because there's dissonance that's going on. And in the very same way in our lives, we need dissonance to take place in order for us to step into change. That is 
the biggest, and really, according to psychology, the only reason why we change is because there is discomfort. And what the Bible talks about in Galatians 5, 24 to 25 is this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What the Bible describes, and Paul talks about this in many other uh, passages, I think in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and, and he talks about this sense that there is this flesh. Some of the times he talk, calls it the old self, and this old self is at war with the Spirit. Remember that we talked about how uh, we need to catechismize our salvation, and it's a downward, it's a revelatory, it's a spirit-led process where God brings us this new way of thinking. Uh, what happens is that the spirit that has come alive in us brings this new revelation of how life can be and should be. And what happens is that that new thought, that new revelation is often at odds with the old self. And what happens when that, uh, when that takes place is dissonance, is this discomfort on the inside of ourselves. And human beings are wired to get rid of discomfort. Human beings hate discomfort. We, we, we abhor discomfort. And so we will do whatever we need to get rid of that discomfort. That's why people go to alcohol, go to drugs, go to sex. Because those things temporarily short-circuit your memory so that you don't have this discomfort sitting over your head anymore. People go for relationships. People go for anything that will dull the senses so that you no longer feel the discomfort. What's far worse is that people often choose the easy way out and get rid of this new revelation from God and instead stick with the old self because the old self is always more comfortable. See, there's two ways that we can properly get rid of the discomfort and not just forget about it. And, and that is to option one, get rid of the thought that comes from the spirit. That is quick, that is easy, that is not messy because you get to keep your old life. You get to keep it. You don't have to change anything. You just keep going and keep going with what you've always had. That is the old way, that is the easy way, it is the quick way, and that's why many of us choose that way. But the more effective long-term option is to look at this new way, find out what it is that is bringing discomfort in our soul and in our spirit, and get rid of the old way. That is the process that God is wanting us to work through. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, I was over-competitive, way over-competitive. I, I, I took games and sport very seriously, and it was a must-win. My parents can tell you that I was a very sore loser, and, uh, and, and so they would probably throw many games in order to not have to deal with Suki Nate for the next three hours, and so I grew up with this um, ability to win games because of how bad my whinging was after. And um, where I played sport, I would also really get my blood going and, you know, I would get into the opposition's face. I would scream stuff at them and all that kind of stuff. That, would, that was the way I was. And to be honest, at that time, I thought that that's what gave me an edge. 
I thought my over-competitiveness was what gave me an edge. I recognized that there were some people that were way more skillful, way more talented than I was, but my edge, my competitive edge, was what set me apart. And so I thought nothing of it. I, I was okay with it. I was fine. I was like, this is me. I'm a competitive fella. And um, I don't know when it was, but I think God was gently introducing this new thought to me. And I started to feel a little bit icky whenever I got into someone's face about stuff. I was like, oh, why do I do that? And quite often I would just go like, whatever. All right, that's my edge. Right, don't touch my edge. You know, I want to keep my edge and I would just kind of dis dismiss it, get rid of it and keep going in my life. But I think God continued to work on my life and kept kind of trying to bring down this new thought of how I was supposed to live. And, and I was feeling more and more icky. And I, I remember there was a, a season where I think God was just asking me, look, look at the people you enjoy playing with, especially sports and stuff. Look at the people you enjoy playing with. And I started to open my eyes and recognize that the people I love to play with were the team builders, were the ones who, who, who were encouraging and, and were you know, getting around people and helping them. And, and I was like, I actually like the idea of being one of them and not being this, this, this over-competitive uh, fella. And, and so in that moment, I allowed that dissonance to really resound in me, and I chose. I chose from now on, I'm going to try to be more encouraging on the pitch. I'm going to be more of a team builder on the pitch rather than being the, the egghead that no one likes. And I said, that's more important than winning this game. So I think that's a big part of me now. And, and we, we played soccer over the last couple of terms. And, and Beck was, I like playing on your team because you like trying to bring the team together. I was like, oh, I've actually got there. I didn't realize it. I didn't know it. I was just like, <laughs> don't cheer. This small, small accomplishment. But, you know, I chose to change only because I could see the dissonance that was occurring. If I want to go deeper, for me, the greatest pivot in my life was the darkest and hardest season of my life. When I had gone through a breakup that I wasn't expecting, it brought so much soul searching and I saw so many points of discomfort in me. And that discomfort brought about an amazing growth in me. I attribute a lot of where I am today because of that season in life. And that's the same with you. God often uses the worst, darkest seasons of your life to bring about an awareness of the places of dissonance and discomfort, and the old ways of thinking and the old ways of doing things, and so that he can bring to light, he can bring to mind, hey, I'm bringing this new thought. You've never really thought this before, and you've never really wanted to live this way before, but if you allow me to, this is going to bring change, which is going to bring growth, which is going to then bring about the possession of the promises that God has for you. If you really want to find peace in your life, if you want to find fulfillment in your life, if you really want to find joy and true happiness, it is not found in the old way. The fact that you're sitting here in this room means that there's something in you that's going, there must be something more than this. Maybe someone dragged you along, but maybe they are seeing that there's something in you that needs to change. So maybe if you open your eyes and open your heart and allow God to bring this downward work of salvation in our lives, something could change. See, I'm not talking necessarily about sinful habits and things that are not good. 
most of us already know the things that, need, that we need to change in. And I, I, know, I know it's difficult. I know it's an ongoing process. What I'm saying is this, is, is generally speaking, the greatest things that God wants to do in us happens in times of discomfort. But one thing that I have done in my life is that I've learned to embrace discomfort. I want to live uncomfortable. In fact, now when I go through a whole year and I go, that was easy, I get scared. I get really scared because I've settled. I've really settled. You know, it's easier to love a church about this size than it is to love a church about 200 people because there's less people, which means less problems. People bring problems. If any one of you are in the people industry, you know, adding even five more people could be a real pain in the butt. But I love you guys. And I also love those that are about to come in. I'm not choosing comfort. I don't want to choose comfort. Do you know in your life, the way that you see your family culture, maybe? It's like, you know what? I want my family culture to be life-giving, encouraging, and, and, and mission uh, living on mission. I want my kids to live on mission. If you feel that sense in you, change it. Change. You know, seriously, just, just ask God, bring to mind a new mindset, a new way of living, and, and, and let me feel that discomfort. And don't, don't, don't let me just dismiss it, God. Help me hold it in mind. Allow this dissonance to, to sit in my soul and in my spirit until I go, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do something about it. Remember, the idea of change is sexy, but the implementation of change is hard, is uncomfortable. It is long-suffering. It, it, it takes you through this. And, and you know what? I think the Bible says, take all joy when you go through trials of any kind. Do you know why? Because it's the trials, it's the discomfort, discomf it's the uncomfortable periods of time that bring about the greatest change, that bring about about the greatest growth that then gives you the greatest keys to possess the promises that God has for you. Yeah. You know that our world today, I just want to uh, uh, talk about our culture just for just one minute. I read this thing where, where um, what is happening in our world is that our childlikeness is diminishing quicker. Our wonder at the world, our wow, you know, when you go around, wow, because people have these uh, devices that you can basically see the whole world from your, uh, from the comforts of your, of your living room, and, and you can choose to see and know as much as you want to, and so the childlikeness has decreased in our world, but the childishness in our world has gone longer. Uh, stats are showing this. They're saying that, I mean, they're not saying, but, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to say 25 is a new 18. You know, when uh, you go back 20 years and 18-year-olds were needing to find jobs and settle into something so that they could survive, they'd learn how to take on responsibility at a younger age. But nowadays, you're 25. Um, have you got any job prospects? No. Have you... Um, Finished any studies like, oh, I've started five times, but I've finished none of them. I'm, I'm just saying that as a culture. I'm not knocking you. But what uh, research has shown is that we are allowing this childish behavior to continue. If you look at your child and at age six months, they don't know how to share, you won't be angry with them. Any parent here that's angry with a six-month-old that doesn't know how to share? 
No? Okay, good. Because it'd be really bad if they're six months. Like, Why are you sharing? <laughs> Not that you want anything that that child has. Like. <laughs> but if your child is six years old and still doesn't know how to share, suddenly it's like, something's wrong. You haven't learned a new way of living. You haven't developed. You haven't grown. And as a parent, you go, man, there's something that needs to change. But somehow when we get the adults, not, there's no person kind of like, you need to change as much anymore. In fact, as your pastor, I don't go to you. When we head to the foyer after and I have a chat with you, I'm not going to ask you, so what have you changed in so far? Now, what's God been doing? And I mean, if we get a coffee and you want to open that up, that's fantastic. But what I'm saying is that it's harder for people to change nowadays because childishness is seen as a value. It's seen as okay. But what God is calling us to is growing up because there is more. There is more to be had. And I love what God has been doing over the last two weeks. God's been speaking life. God's been speaking vision. God's been speaking in, in, into your future. God's been stirring something up. But you know what? Some of you will never attain those things if you're not willing to be uncomfortable if you're not willing to change. You know, next week we've got a pop-up carnival and we're going to be getting out to community. One of the goals that we have is for every volunteer to have two conversations with people. Two conversations. Not, a conversation is not a, how you going? It's not a, how you going? Well, that's not a conversation. That's a greeting. Understand, people? It's a greeting. A conversation is like, how you going? And I love that Sandy brought up that many people will actually come to you and say, so this is all free. Where are you from? What are you doing? conversation time and I noted that some of you sitting here is going like that's not me that's not me it's not me yeah that's sure that's not you now but you can change you can change you can get a bit uncomfortable do you want to be effective do you want to have a bigger life do you want to see everything that God has for you because I do because right now you're okay you're not bad but you're better than this. God's got so much more than that for you. And, and, and I'm saying that with all love. I know I'm probably sounding a little bit hard, but I'm wanting you to get uncomfortable and to squirm in your seat a little bit and go on. God's talking to me, and I've got to do something about it. Our church can never, never attain all that God has for us if we get comfortable. If we just sit down on our butts and go, someone else can take the charge. We don't want a bunch of spectators in this life. You know, I, 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 I've gotten really annoyed with, with commentators and stuff like that. Because I love sport, and, and I love reading all the reports. But recently, I've been reading it. These, these, these armchair coaches think that they know better than the people that are on the ground. And sometimes I wonder whether Christians have gotten a bit like that. They come make calls from the sidelines, talk about people's meat pies, and, and not be willing to do anything about it. But what about if a whole church was activated and sends that God saying, Now is the time. You've got something so much more for you. Doing, doing ministry for the last 15 years, actually 15, slightly less than that. Um, it's sad when you see people that are like, you know what, I'm not going to change. And we've seen people like that. So I'm not going to change. You know, as your pastor, I tried to encourage you and say, come on, there's more for you. But if you say no to that change, 
and say, all right, we're going to find someone else that's ready and willing to say yes. Remember, we talked about faith is about your yes. In the same way, change is about your yes. It's about having the courage to say, God, I know that you've got the best for me. And I'm sick and tired of doing this alone. All right, I've way gone over my time. Can we get the band up this morning? I hope that this stirs something up in you. This is not a series that you are going to get comfortable with, in case you didn't know. This is a series where there's going to be a bit of challenge. Over the next four weeks, three weeks, sorry, we're going to be talking about different areas that we think that God is challenging us to grow in, bringing some of the thoughts of God, thoughts of Christ from the Bible to challenge our old ways of living and old ways of thinking. And if you get a little bit uncomfortable, I make no apology. I make no apology because I want you to change. Because I want to see you grow. Because when you grow, then you release the promises of God on your life. So come on, church. Come on. We are, we're going through the season. We are preparing for something so much more. But we need to change. We need to grow. We need to get ready because God's doing something. God's doing something amazing. And I want as many of us to be on this journey as possible. I don't want any of us lagging behind. And, and the honest truth is that there might be some. Some of you are going to get offended at this message. And they say, wow, don't you like me enough? It's like, I like you enough to know that there's better ahead of you. And if you can't take that, maybe you can find somewhere else that you can sit down and do nothing about your life. But I want to see the best for you. God wants to see the best for you. God knows that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. But to get to those days ahead, change, grow. We need to get uncomfortable. We need to start stretching. And I, I, that's what I believe. But right now, I, I believe that there are people that might need to uh, respond and to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's one of the biggest changes. It's one of the hardest changes uh, to make where you're saying, God, I know that I've tried and I know that I've stuffed up and I'm, I, I, can't, I can't do this by myself anymore. And so I need you, God. And that's what the prayer of salvation is about. You receive this gift that doesn't require you to change in order to receive it. God doesn't require you to change in order for Him to love you. The change happens after because He knows that fulfillment, joy, love, all of that stuff comes after the change. But for some of you, just right now, your step, your step is to say, Jesus, I need you and I want you. And so I'm going to lead you into a prayer. If I can get everyone to close your eyes, bow your head. The whole church is going to pray together. And we're going to say this prayer to accept Jesus into our lives. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. But I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.